Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4. We're going to begin reading at verse 8. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles or your devices to 1 John chapter 4, or you can follow along on the screen to your right. This is your living and loving Savior's word in 1 John chapter 4. Whoever does not love does not know God, because... God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of your God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had the distinct privilege of getting to serve as a professional reference for a friend who was looking to interview and then get a promotion at the company they work for. It was a lot of fun for me because pretty low pressure situation. I'm not the one interviewing for a job, but I'm getting asked all these questions. I'm not on the hot seat. My friend is. And I was asked a ton of questions about them. And so I got to just sit back and answer them. I was asked about their work ethic. I was asked about their reputation. I was asked about my friend's attitude. I was asked about my friend's timeliness. I was asked about my friend's ability to run a meeting. And then I was asked a very important question. The person conducting the interview asked me if I were in charge of hiring at their company, would I hire my friend? I said yes. (laughs) I said yes because I honestly would because in all my dealings with my friend, getting to work alongside of them, they're a good person. They're a good hire, at least on the outside. And that's when it hit me. Every question that the interviewer asked me always had this preface or this disclaimer. They would say, based on what you've seen, or they would say, in your experience with this person, have you noticed? Or in your time with them, have you ever seen or heard? Throughout the interview, they asked me to only make judgments about their character based on what I could see. And that got me thinking, about our study of the Ten Commandments. 
And no, that's not just a cheap or easy segue to what we want to talk about today. But think about your record of keeping the commands. Think about all the commandments that we've studied so far. And most, well, they're things that people have and can observe us doing. Throughout this series, we've looked at how God is the guardian of good gifts that he gives us in the commandments. And the best gifts that he gives us of all is the fact that Christ Jesus has kept all the commandments for us. But imagine this for a moment. Imagine if you were being interviewed for your record of the Ten Commandments. Imagine if if you gave me, your pastor, a list of references, people who I could talk to about how well you've kept them. What would most people say? Now, before you start to squirm and get uneasy in your seats, I'll say this. I think that because most Christians strive to keep most of the commandments most of the time, most people would give you a pretty good review. I mean, think about the commandments and think if I were to ask somebody and say, hey, does, does Matt serve God, the true God, or does he have other gods? Does Matt use God's name in vain? I say, no, Matt, someone who, who is a Christian. If I asked him about the third commandment and I said to your, let's say your kids or maybe your parents, I said, are they somebody who keeps the third commandment and remembers the Sabbath day? What are they going to say about someone who's here in church or worshiping online? Yeah, they, they keep the third commandment. What if I asked your boss about the fourth commandment and whether or not you respected authority? I'm willing to bet that your boss would say, yeah, they, they do. They keep the fourth commandment or they wouldn't probably be your boss very long. If I were to ask, let's say, life references taken at random from your classmates or your coworkers, whether or not you murder or commit adultery or steal or you lie and give false testimony, what do you think the average person who observes you is going to say? Unless you are a convicted criminal or you are someone who is a known offender, the truth is that Christians, most Christians, most of the time, do a pretty good job keeping their moral record clean. It's something you probably work pretty hard at, at least on the outside. And so what happens when you start to believe your own hype? What happens when you start to believe what most people might say about most of your behavior, that that you're someone who keeps God's commandments. Well, that's why God gives us the ninth and the 10th commandment. Both commandments are captured in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, where we read this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is God's word. What are these commandments about? I'll give you a hint. It's not about your neighbor's house or spouse. These commandments given 3,500 years ago, 
they're not about donkeys or servants. Not really. There's other commandments that guard our marriages and guard our stuff and protect our neighbor. What are these commandments about? They're about something that no one can notice. They're about something that no one can see. They're about something that no reference, life reference for any fictitious Christian job interview you have, is ever going to pick up on. Because this commandment is about your heart. This commandment is about the thing that gives birth to all your desires. So who's this commandment for? This commandment is not for people who openly do not love God and do not keep the first table of the law, the first, the second, and the third commandment. This commandment is not for people who openly do not care and do not love their neighbor and do not keep the second table of the law, the fourth through the tenth commandment. Who's this commandment for? This is a commandment for people who want to be seen as honorable, upright citizens. This is a commandment for people who want to look like they have values and morals. This is a commandment for people who want to, to have their life together, or at least look like they have their life together most of the time. It's for people who, who want to keep the commandments. It's for people like you and me. And that's why what God guards in this commandment something that we can't see, something that no one can notice, our hearts and our desires, well, it's one of the most vital areas of the Christian's life that your God could possibly guard. So let's ask a question. Do your desires match what can be observed? Do your heart's desires and the inclinations and intentions that you have in your heart, do they match the character that we see on the outside? In March of 2008, the New York Times came out with an explosive article that exposed then-Governor Elliot uh, Spitzer, the governor of New York. What had happened? Well, he was caught as someone who was patronizing a prostitution ring. The story made immediate national headlines, and two days later, Governor Spitzer appeared before a press conference, humble, and he resigned from office. And the story blew up even more after that, not just because this was another fallen political leader caught in a sex scandal, but because of what Governor Spitzer did before he was governor, how he made his name. Prior to that, he was the attorney general in New York, and he was a prosecutor of prostitution rings. In other words, Elliot Spitzer's primary problem, it wasn't the Sixth Commandment, although he certainly broke that. His primary problem started 
with the ninth and the tenth commandment, desires of his heart, desiring something that wasn't his. And then when he was no longer able to control those desires, pretending that his outward behavior was something different than the pious and righteous and moral inward desires of his heart. But it's not just fallen political leaders that care about their image, that care about their brand, that care about their their personal persona. Now, we all live in a culture that is very, very concerned about cultivating an image or at least a look that we have on the outside. And we need to ask, what does that cost us inwardly, spiritually? Because all of the superficiality, all of the, all of the imagery that we want people to see, all of the behaviors that we want people to know about us, when we care more about that and we focus more on that and think only about that, what does that superficiality cost us in terms of our spirituality? Because the answer is not nothing. Our Savior and all of Scripture makes this point really clear. Jesus quotes this proverb from Proverbs 4, verse 23. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. He doesn't say guard your image, doesn't say guard your personal brand. He says guard your heart above all else. We read it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whoever does not have agape, unconditional love, sitting on their heart, controlling their desires, whoever doesn't have that doesn't have God. The Guardian, not this series, but the British news outlet, covered the scandal that took place with Governor Spitzer, and it wrote this quote. Rarely in American politics was a fall from grace so spectacular, so complete, and so clearly boiled down to a self-inflicted wound, a human flaw. And this is the point I want to make with the ninth and the tenth commandment. This commandment is one of the most serious and scariest to wrestle with because of its devastating qualities. The ninth and 10th commandment, what I'm saying is something that you can fake your entire life and you can break your entire life without anyone knowing. Your pastor will never be able to know if your desires are wrong or evil or immoral, you're never going to show up to your small group and your friend's going to say to you, hey, how you doing this week? Your desires look a little off. No one is ever going to notice your desires. And so what happens when we fail to wrestle with them and question them and think about them because we're so concerned with the outside? We become numb to them. We become numb to wrong desires, which become normal. And yet, while no Christian job interview is going to surface our desires, God sees them. God knows all of them. And so it's worth pausing 
to meditate and reflect on some searching questions. What are the desires of your heart? When everything in life goes quiet, what do you imagine? What does the inner monologue of your mind sound like? Because no one will ever see. It's something I will never be able to notice or perceive. Because with people, what you see on the outside is, is what you get. But God's the exact opposite. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> you might say, thanks, Captain Obvious. I know God is the exact opposite of me. But have you ever noticed it in terms of your heart? I mean, when it comes to people, what you see is what you get. The Bible actually even tells us that we can't judge the heart. We can't know someone's heart, but we can judge their actions. We can see their actions. We'll never know, though, what's inside of their heart and mind. But God is the exact opposite. No one's ever seen God. No one knows what God looks like. And if you think that this is what God lo looks like, you're missing it because this is not what God looks like but no one has ever seen God. Our scripture lesson has told us that. We don't know at all what God looks like. No one has ever seen him. And yet, you know his heart. You know God's desires most clearly. You know exactly what dialogue is taking place between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what's on God's heart. John, who wrote 1 John, also wrote the gospel earlier in his life. And in that gospel, in the first chapter, that same John said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You know God's heart because you know God's Son. And do you want to know what the Spirit has revealed through the Son about God's heart? What his number one desire is? It's you. God's desire is you. And here's the really good news. And if you're following along in the sermon guide, the first fill in the blank, God's desire to love us is not based on our desires. God's desire to be your God, to be your father, to have you as his son, to have you as his daughter, it's not based on your desires. It's based on his. First John put it this way. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the toning sacrifice for our sins. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we could love God, but he loved us. This is love. Not that we even wanted to be one with the Father, and yet Christ Jesus, the unobligated giver, unselfishly gave all of his love and did everything so that we are one. We are united with him. We are atoned for. This is love. Not that you even wanted 
a savior or a sacrifice. But God so desired you, desired to have you as his, that he sent his kid to die so that you might be his. This is love. Not that just Jesus came into the world and wiped away all your sins, but this is love, that Jesus descended into the darkness, into the dirtiness of your desires and your heart. And not in spite of the fact, but because those desires, those wrong desires are there, he came and he came to make you his. That's God's number one desire. And that's why Barbara got a little worked up at lunch. Barbara and her good friend Judith went to a really hip restaurant in the downtown of their hometown, but none of that really mattered to them because they had been doing it for decades. On the first Tuesday of every month, Barbara and Judith got together for lunch and pie. And as was their custom, as conversations moved along, they usually ended up talking about spiritual things. And that's when Barbara, a little too loudly and a little too emphatically, slammed down her fork and said, God does not care about your heart. Judith was a little taken aback by this and wistfully placed her hand over her heart and said, well, I think God knows my heart. See, what was happening at lunch is these two ladies were, were talking about their upbringing and the brand of Christianity that they were fed as kids. It was the opposite of what 1 John 4 tells us, that this is love, that God loved us, not that we loved him. What they were taught their whole life was that the things that they did is what God would judge them on. And if those things were bad, then, well, it was the sincerity of their, of their hearts. It was their desires that God would look on in grace and mercy and, and judge accordingly to that. And so Judith wanted to know and wanted to believe that, well, at least God knows my heart. And that's when Barbara laid it down. Barbara said, God doesn't care about your heart. And, and what she meant was this, and she explained it from scripture, that all of the desires of our heart, Jeremiah 17, are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, Barbara shared with Judith that the heart is the source of evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And that's when the light came on for Judith. And she said, oh, I suppose God does know my heart. But it's a good thing that God doesn't judge me according to it. And I hope the light comes on for you. I hope that's what this sermon and that's what this series has done for you. That God does know your heart. He knows your record of keeping the Ten Commandments, even the ninth and the tenth, and even if no one else does. But what we've been talking about throughout this series is that the Ten Commandments are not like a ladder. They are not the thing that we climb to try to get closer to God. If you treat the commandments that way, like it's your spiritual to-do list, what you will find is the rungs of the ladder move further and further apart to the point where you cannot reach the next one and you will fall. The point we've been making throughout this series is that the Ten Commandments are a wall, the wall of God's law, and we come running 
crashing into this wall. You are not superwoman, you are not superman, and you can't run through it. What happens when we meet the wall of God's law is it shows us our sin, it knocks us on our back, and we see our need for our Savior. But more than just expose us, here's what my hope is and has been for this series and this morning's scripture lesson is that it doesn't just expose the truth that we break God's law. What I hope even the Ten Commandments do is point us to something greater, that we have a God who is the guardian of all of our lives. And even through the commandments, our God gives us good things by guarding good things for us, even guarding us from ourselves and our own desires. Because what our God does is set up a wall around us to keep us safe with the ninth and 10th commandment by guarding us against our desires, but he goes one step further. He gives us a new heart. Psalm 51 says this, this is love. That God has created in you a pure heart. That God has renewed a steadfast spirit within you. This is love. That God did not cast you away from his presence and he didn't take his Holy Spirit from you, but he gave the Holy Spirit to you. This is love. That God has restored to you the joy of salvation and he has given you a willing spirit. He has given you willing desires that sustain you, that keep you that guard you. What you might say is this, that God's desire to love us, well, it not only removes you from sin, from death and the devil, but God's desire to love you also reshapes our hearts to love like him. And God's desire to reshape our hearts, well, it ends up reshaping and changing the entire purpose and trajectory of your life and mine. This is 1 John chapter four. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Think about what that means. This is love. No one has ever seen God, but here's how they see God. When you love, when you love one another, God so loved the world and he sent his son into the world that whoever believes in him has eternal life. But God didn't stop there. His love has a goal. And his love's goal is that those who believe, those who know that they are God's beloved, they love. And in that way, they make God known. It reshapes how you think about your life and even how you think about these commandments because now we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, but we only love because we're loving the one who first loved us, first commandment. We make God's love complete in this world when we use God's name for prayer and for praise, the second commandment. God's love, God set his love up in this way that it is purposed, it is designed to be made complete, to be made whole in this world, and people see him when you, number three, take every opportunity 
to gather with Christians and worship. First John tells us this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Love one another. It includes even those who, in relation to the fourth commandment, are in positions of authority over you. Love one another. It means that in the fifth commandment, we don't hate one another. In the sixth commandment, we don't sexualize one another. In the seventh commandment, we don't steal from one another. In the eighth commandment, we don't talk badly about one another, but we use God's love and gospel to encourage one another and build one another up. And when it comes to the ninth and tenth commandments, that we pray that God shapes and reshapes our desires to be like his all the days of our life. Last night as dinner wrapped up and the conversation was wrapping up, our four-year-old very confidently put down his fork, looked at his mother, looked at me and said, mom, dad, I am done with consequences for the rest of my life surprised by this and also believing that this might be too good to be true, my wife and I looked at each other, then looked at him and said, oh yeah, well, why is that? Very confidently, very proudly, he declared, because I'm done doing wrong things, I'm going to be a listener. Never mind that 20 minutes later, we had to threaten some consequences when he wouldn't go to bed. But what a four-year-old hinted on is something that all of us as Christians struggle with as well. Earlier this summer in a foundations class, uh, a little bit older than a four-year-old asked pretty much the same question. We were talking about this passage. We were talking about that God loved us, not that we loved him. That's love. How that matters in our salvation, how that matters in our lives of sanctification, our lives of holy living. And They asked the question, why, if God's love is so powerful that it raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that it won me from sin, death, and the devil, why is it that God's love that's in me doesn't always lead me to do godly things? What my son hit on, what this adult hit on, is the paradox of Christian life, that we are simultaneously sinners And we're simultaneously saints, people who have been given a brand new heart by God. And yet in this life, our hearts will constantly wrestle with wrong desires, evil desires. And so what do we do? That's ultimately what Julian was getting at and what my friend in our foundations class asked about. And so I shared in that class a prayer that someone has taught me, a simple prayer that as we think about the ninth and 10th commandment, we might do well to remember. Lord, shape my heart. Lord, shape my ambitions, shape my attitudes, shape my thoughts to be like yours. And maybe we can add to that prayer this morning. Lord, shape my heart so that your love is made complete in me in you. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.